Subject A3 has suffered a possible concussion and appears to be disoriented. Request an ambulance at... The man looked at his little satellite dish. At coordinates 9, 0, 3, Tristar, 3, 8, 7, Ooga Booga, 3, 3, 3, 4, over. The watch answered the man. 1. Is A3 in possession of the item? Does he still have it? Agent 1 pointed his mini-dish at Stephen. It went beep, beep, beep. One answered, I'm afraid not, base. That's a negative. The watch said, Oh no, this is terrible. He must have lost it in the fall over the dam. Is A3 alert enough to be questioned? Agent 1 gently shook Stephen and said, Son? Son, are you okay? What kind of question was that? How could someone be okay when they knew their best friend was de- Was gone? Stephen just looked at the man. Now, son, Agent 1 said, You've got to help us out here. Things will be a lot easier if you cooperate, all right? Stephen nodded, not because he agreed, but because he knew that was what the man wanted him to do. Okay, good boy. Now, where is it? We're pretty sure you had it when you two started running across the top of the dam. Did you drop it in the water? Do you know which side it fell on? Just tell me where it is and maybe I can help you out and you won't have to go to jail for too long. Stephen had to think about this. He wished his head would stop spinning for a second so he could make the kind of decision a good detective would about what he should do next. One thing he did know, spinning head or not, was that this man didn't really care about helping him. He was trying to scare him with that talk about jail, and it worked. Stephen started wondering what bad thing could happen next. Look, kid, tell me where it is or things could get pretty bad for you. The man's tone changed. He, he, he... Stephen pointed at the spot where they'd landed in the water. He must still have it. I think he swallowed it while we were falling. One aimed his mini-dish at the spot where Stephen pointed. The dish went, Boop, boop, boop. One yelled into his watch, Base, base. Subject B1 allegedly still has the item in his possession. I'm getting a positive reading on my parabolic unit indicating the item is underwater at the foot of the dam. Stephen knew what that meant and started getting dizzy all over again. He put his hand on his forehead and felt a lump the size of a ping-pong ball. It was then that the other four-letter word finally came to him. He knew he had to say it. Dead, Stephen mumbled. He's dead. The agent said, well, if he isn't, he's doing a pretty good imitation of it. Stephen sat down, so shook up that he felt like he was half passed out, half passed in. The five other men in black suits found him and Agent One and talked into their watches while they pointed their mini-dishes at the water. Yes, sir, Agent Fondue, we've almost got it. Negative base, no sign other than parabolic indication. That's correct. Bweep, bweep, bweep. Ambulance en route for the little pain in the neck. City officials have been contacted. Affirmative. Dam will be shut off in twelve hours. Body of B-1 and the item will be recovered. Bweep, bweep, bweep. Stephen's head spun and spun, but he kept asking himself how this had happened. How had this terrible nightmare started? It started with Mr. Othello Chicky, a good friend who had given Stephen a very strange gift. As he heard the scream of a siren coming nearer and nearer, Stephen forced himself to remember it all. He searched his mind to see if he could have stopped this from happening or done something different and changed this horrible ending to his summer, 
with his best friend tangled up in the weeds at the bottom of a dam and him about to go to prison. As the men put Stephen on a stretcher and started pulling him up the riverbank, he remembered exactly how this nightmare had started. Chapter 2 Mr. Chickie's Gift Stephen knew that Mr. Chickie liked him better than the rest of the kids in the neighborhood. It wasn't just that Stephen's dad and Mr. Chickie were friends, either. Mr. Chickie knew everybody and was friends with all the adults on Flint's south side, but of all the boys around eight or nine or ten years old, Stephen was the only one who always gave Mr. Chickie the proper respect and didn't treat him like there was something wrong with him. Stephen looked at Mr. Chickie with an open mind, which is the way a detective has to look at everything. When the other kids would tell fantastic stories and tall tales about Mr. Chickie and his being blind, Stephen would twist up his face and try to ignore them or try to set them straight. Andre Warrington had said that Mr. Chickie wasn't blind at all, that he was really a secret agent hired by the government to spy on people in the neighborhood. If that's true, Stephen had said, where does he keep his badge, his gun, and his walkie-talkie? Have you ever seen a secret agent without those? That was enough to make Andre Warrington quit talking nonsense. Smudge Monday had said that his mother had told him that Mr. Chickie used to be a jet fighter pilot during the Civil War, and that he'd gone blind when he flew too close to the sun while chasing a UFO and took his sunglasses off to get a better look. Stephen had shut Smudge up, too, when he asked, If that's true, how did he land his plane without blowing it up and killing himself? And if he was blind, why didn't the aliens beam themselves onto his plane and steal all the top-secret information? Smudge had given Stephen a look that went from being confused to being dirty. Daniel Love had said that Mr. Chickie's white cane had super-secret, sneaky, scientific stuff in it that warned Mr. Chickie when a car was coming or who was walking toward him or where a telephone pole was. Stephen had said, If that's true, where are the batteries or the extension cord to run the scientific stuff? And where's the warning buzzer? This had left Daniel Love scratching his head. Stevie Boy Collins had said that he'd dreamed that Mr. Chickie was actually a person from another world called Our Side, who had come to Earth and had designed a series of tests to find a lost genius who was his civilization's one hope to translate a mysterious message that was the only thing that could save them from certain destruction and death. But that was so bizarre that Stephen hadn't needed to say anything. They'd all ignored Stevie Boy. The kids knew that Stephen used to have a subscription to the magazine Young Detective's Journal, and it was well known that he was the second smartest student at Clark Elementary School, just behind Rochelle Cyrus Herndon, so they figured he was probably right. Smudge Monday still wasn't buying it. Okay, Mr. Know-it-all, Smudge said. How does he know when to cross the street or how not to bump into stuff? Stephen was ready for this question, since he'd asked his dad the same thing a long time ago. Easy. He's got the whole South Side rememorized. He's lived here for almost a hundred years, and he taps with his cane to make sure nothing's in his way. Stephen's dad had actually said that Mr. Chickie had been living in the neighborhood for almost thirty-five years, but Stephen knew that a little exaggerating always makes a fact sound better. 
Smudge and Andre and Daniel and Stevie Boy had to agree that Stephen's answers made more sense than spacemen, magic canes, spies, and mysterious messages. But they still ran behind Mr. Chicky acting silly or spoke to him and then made goofy faces. So it was easy to see why Stephen was Mr. Chicky's favorite boy in the neighborhood. Mr. Chicky might have been blind, but that didn't mean he couldn't see what was going on. Mr. Chicky was Stephen's favorite adult, too. He helped relieve the Saturday morning boredom that he felt after he'd watched the hour of cartoons Mom and Dad allowed and after the meeting of the Flint Future Detectives Club was over. Every Saturday morning at around 8.05, Stephen would make sure he was playing near the corner of Liberty Street in the alley. When he'd hear the tap, tap, tap of a cane coming near, he'd stop whatever he was doing and run over to Mr. Chicky. Well, young fellow, Mr. Chicky would say before Stephen could say a word, how's life treating you? Fine, Mr. Chicky, how's life treating you? Oh, Mr. Chicky would say every Saturday morning at around 8.05 and 15 seconds, not bad for such an old fart. And every Saturday morning, Stephen laughed at the same old joke. You going to get groceries, Mr. Chicky? Sure am. Can you give me a hand today? Uh-huh. I already told Mom. Good, good. You want to carry my cart? Stephen always got to pull the small two-wheeled wire basket for Mr. Chicky's groceries. They walked together to Mitchell's food fair, spent their usual hour or so shopping, and started home. At around 9.07, when they hit Liberty Street in the alley, Mr. Chicky said the same thing every Saturday. Well, Stephen, I don't understand it. Two handsome devils like you and me walked eight blocks together, and no women attacked us. I tell you, these Flint women are something else. If we were back in Philly, it'd be a whole different story. And just like he did every Saturday around 9.07 and...